Welcome, birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banter Podcast, where birders talk birding. Well, I live in Washington State. We've been on a stay-home, stay-safe regimen, basically asked to stay close to home and not uh, get near anybody if we can help it uh, for the last couple of months. But just in the last week or so, uh, Washington has opened up the ability to access a lot of open areas. Uh, State parks, in large part, are open to day use. A lot of uh, national forests have been somewhat opened, uh, and so it's a little easier to get into into the wilderness, into nature, to go birding. And so I have definitely started to take more advantage of that. I've been getting a little farther afield. I know we're not supposed to travel far, and I've been trying to keep that under control. Uh, But my wanderlust is getting the best of me at times, and I've been getting out birding a bit. So that really feels good. We had some excitement in the neighborhood, in the area, yesterday. Uh, Bruce Labar, a uh, good friend and fellow birder, uh, found an odd tringa. Tringas are a, a, a type of shorebird uh, that generally have long legs and uh, look sort of in the yellow legs sort of uh, type of birds. Uh, and uh, so uh, I, got, I went dashing over to try to help him get some pictures of this bird, and we got on it, and it was a strange-looking bird. Uh, the hope was that it was a wood sandpiper, a really uh, unusual bird. I've seen one in Washington once up in Skagit County, but I think it would, I'm almost sure it would be a first Pierce County bird and a really good bird. And we looked and looked at this bird and sent, it out, sent photos out to a couple of experts while we were still there, and they thought, yeah, wood sandpiper looked pretty good, but we didn't stay long enough to get the bird in flight. Birders went back later and saw that it had a, a striped tail, meaning a dark central tail feathers with white on the edges, which pretty much excluded uh, wood sandpiper and made it most likely a kind of odd-looking solitary sandpiper. This area has been a really good area this spring for solitary sandpipers. We've had several at this uh, wet uh, agricultural field area in Fife. And uh, so the consensus at this point is that we just had a kind of a weird-looking solitary sandpiper. So I'm uh, still waiting for the final word to come in on some photos, but I think that's what it's going to turn out to be. But fun to get excited about a a rare bird for at least a little bit. That was pretty cool. I also had another great experience this week. I got to have Nate Swick on as my guest on the podcast. Nate is uh, the online presence manager for the American Birding Association. He does the ABA podcast. He does the ABA blog. uh, He uh, does the rare bird aspect of the ABA website. uh, Is pretty much in charge of a lot of the social media things and uh, was someone I really was hoping I could get on the podcast. And so I reached out to him the other day, and he said yes. So join me in welcoming Nate Swick to the Bird Banter Podcast, episode number 60. Nate, thanks for being on the podcast today. It's my pleasure. This is my first time talking to somebody from the ABA, a longtime member, and uh, this is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for your membership. But uh, always happy to chat with birders and, and people who are involved in the ABA in any capacity. Yeah, I appreciate it. So, Nate, what's it like being uh, uh, in your role in the ABA? First of all, tell me, what do you do there? I know it seems like you're uh, you wear many hats. <laughs> I have, and uh, my role has sort of changed over the years um, since I've been involved. So, it's been almost about ten years since I first started getting involved with the ABA uh, as a you know employee in some capacity. Uh, you know, when Jeff came on as president, uh, he had the opportunity to make a lot of changes in the way that the ABA sort of uh, 
dealt with its with its members, you know, interacted with its members. And, and one of the things that the ABA had been lacking for a really long time was any sort of internet online presence, which is sort of um, very strange. You know, we're talking about 2010, 2011. Um, yeah. And even by then, everything was online. And so that was something obviously that needed to change. And so I, I suggested as a, just a member, just like anyone else that, um, Hey, the ABA should, should hire me. I, I was writing on my own blog at the time, the drinking bird blog. Uh, <laughs> and I, you know, built a, a fair following and, you know, I said, Hey, you know, the ABA needs an online person. Uh, I could do that role at the time I was, um, Let's just see. What was I doing at the time? I was working in guest relations at a science center in Durham, North Carolina, and birding on the side. And um, so I said, "Hey, let me let me do this. This is what I can do for you." So Jeff said, "All right, let's uh, let's see what we can do. This is a role that we have a need for, which at the time was just essentially manag- managing the ABA blog." And that's what I started with. I was just basically the traffic cop, the traffic controller for the ABA blog. We had a bunch of people submitting stuff to the blog and it kind of needed to be organized. We needed a schedule. We needed um, basically someone to say, you're posting here, you're posting there. Um, An editor, a managing editor, for lack of a better word. Sure. Or a title. And um, so I started doing that and then I started doing more stuff. I took over the... uh, the newsletter and then I started doing more stuff and helping out in events and stuff. And, you know, it's just kind of built over the years. Um, it's always been related somewhat online. That's always been sort of my purview, mm-hmm. uh, but it, now it, it's a lot of content online now that the ABA blog doesn't exist in that name anymore. The content has effectively been moved over to the main site, but social media is still a big part and, and, you know, just digital communications. We do a lot of, uh, a lot of other stuff, virtual bird clubs online and and all sorts of interaction with with members and, and birders and the podcast as well. So, you know, it's it's sort of been it's just added on over the years. But now um, I guess you could say I'm, I'm digital communications. That's sort of what I call myself when people ask me that question, like, what do you do for the ABA? Um, and that's that's pretty much it. It's been it's been 10 years now. My goodness. Yeah. Sounds like a fair description. That's sort of how I see you as online pretty much. But it sounds yeah. like in addition to just online stuff, you get to go birding as a part of this job. Yeah, that is one of the kind of the fringe benefits of being involved at the ABA is that they occasionally need people to help out on uh, various events. And obviously birding is such a huge part of the role, part of the part of the job and part of the, you know, the culture of the ABA. You know, m- most of us here at the ABA uh, with very few exceptions, uh, and even the people who probably would not call themselves birders know birds pretty well. Um, I mean, we're all birders. We all have these different jobs that are sort of typical of a nonprofit organization. But on top of that, we are all birders. Like we get, we get it. We're in the community. We love to go out and interact with people who are birding and show people birds and just enjoy birds and birding and the birding community. So that's you know that's that's. And that means that I get to help out with some events sometimes and, um, you know, help help with members. It's it's we, we all kind of pitch in when we need to. We're kind of a small organization, so we, we wear many hats in addition to kind of our main roles. Um, For sure. But, some yeah. some of my some of my favorite episodes on, on your podcast, the ABA podcast, mm-hmm. are, uh, yeah, I think maybe my all time favorite partly because I'm dying to go there, was mm-hmm. your your episode where you talked to the birders you went to Newfoundland with and saw oh, the yeah, seabird, so much fun. seabird yeah. breeding islands. Yeah, that was great. Um, yeah, Newfoundland is a fantastic place. And, um, you know, I got to go there 
uh, as a guest of the St. John's, the capital of Newfoundland, uh, St. John's Tourism Bureau. That's one of the, as I said, you know, that's one of the fringe benefits. Sometimes you get to go on trips like this. And uh, they basically showed us around for a few days of the Avalon Peninsula where St. John's is. And, you know, as Newfoundland, anyone who's familiar with Atlantic Canada knows that there are some truly incredible seabird colonies there and they're remarkably close to the city of St. John's. You know, you, you fly into St. John's, which is a really wonderful little town. And then, you know, 30 minutes later, you could be on a boat going out to look at whales and puffins, which is remarkable. Um, what a great experience that was. Yeah. And to, and to share it with uh, the people that I shared it with, uh, Jason and, and Nick and Ted and Jared Clark uh, there with uh, who, who, you know, led us around. He's the Newfoundlander who is a, a bird guide up there. But yeah, the, the podcast that came out of that was a lot of fun too, because I kind of got to, to, you know, revisit some of those experiences. I had been recording sounds, kind of soundscapes uh, while we were there and mm-hmm. uh, got to use those and it, which was very neat. I was very proud of that, the episode that came out of that. That was, that was a really fun thing to work on. I thought it was extraordinary. Yes. Yeah, thanks. Very cool. Uh, and uh, tell me about the live episodes you've done. You've done a, at least two, um, maybe yeah. more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, h- how did those how did those come about? Did that take a tremendous amount of editing or I I, I you know, it's unclear how that would actually work. <laughs> yeah, so that was that was fun. Um Yeah, so we've done two and we had plans to do more this year before, you know, COVID kind of ate everything. But uh, we'll we'll probably jump back into that once things clear up a little bit, and we'll be able to start doing festivals again. But yeah, it's it's funny. So last year was the ABA's fiftieth anniversary, and so we're looking for sort of a way to make a, a big splash at the biggest week in American birding. And so we were tossing around the ideas of the idea of doing something like a um, some sort of meet and greet or an open mic or type event. Um, and it just eventually got to the point where it's like, Hey, why don't we try and do a, do a podcast episode live, you know? And, um, obviously that it's a little bit of a high wire act, right? Because I, my pot, the podcast, the American birding podcast is pretty heavily produced, at least on my end, you know, my, my production. Oh, I can't think of the word I'm looking for. The way I produce those things is that I write pretty much down everything write down pretty much everything that I say. I like to have a a script and then I kind of read it and try and make it sound natural. And, um, you know, there's a lot of kind of reaction interaction in a live podcast. And that was a little bit scary, but I feel like we did a pretty good job with it. Um, we tried to make it pretty simple. The first one, the biggest week episode, which involved essentially just a panel of three people who we knew were going to be at the biggest week festival. And we could easily just kind of deputize to talk about birds and um, yeah, it worked out really well, but there's a lot of work that goes into it on the production side that isn't necessarily me. Um, I, John Lowry, who is the technical producer of the podcast and a sound engineer, in addition to being the marketing and sales manager of the ABA, um, did a ton of work and he has a ton of work because he is in a band and they do a lot of recording. And um, so he was able to kind of put together a set and use all of his tools to make it look really professional. And pretty much all I had to do was show up and like talk to people, which is the easiest thing. Um, So that worked that worked really well. And so we got very confident. And so we decided to pull something together for the Rio Grande Valley Bird Festival uh, that fall. And that one was a little more like a game show. We had a little more time um, for the biggest week from conception to actual production of the episode it was like two weeks which is 
kind of crazy and I would not do that again. But we had a little <laughs> more time to do the Ro- the Rio Grande Valley Festival one. Um, and it was more of a game show, more interactive. And, and yeah, that's the sort of thing I would like to do again going forward if we uh, when we get an opportunity to do another live show. Yeah, I, w- I, I, I thought, you know, doing something like that, you should do like a Facebook Live. Is it Facebook Live or something mm-hmm. like that? We have video with it. That could be really fun for people to just sit in on. You can't. Yeah, get totally. And we um, we did a little bit of that for the biggest week, um, but we didn't do a ton. Um, but yeah, that that would be a great idea. That would be a fun thing to to add at the at the time when we were doing that. We were like, oh, it's just it's like one more thing to add to this whole pile of things you have to prepare for when you're doing it. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. That would be kind of a cool thing to do, especially uh, for people who aren't able to to join us at those festivals. Yeah. Have you have you listened to the Songbirding podcast at all? Uh, a little bit, but not a lot. Yeah, I thought that was a kind of a really cool concept. Where is it, Rob? I think Rob. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like you're on safari. He's sneaking yeah. through the woods and talking about <laughs> what he sees. And you hear the bird songs. It's like, whoa, this is really cool stuff. Yeah, it's really neat to see um, the bird podcasting community kind of build the way it has. You know, when I started the American Birding Podcast, I essentially did it because there weren't a ton of birding podcasts out there. And I still I didn't I hadn't been hearing one that was, you know, one that I really wanted to hear. And so Mm -hmm. that was sort of what motivated me in particular to do the American Birding Podcast. Um, And, you know, the ABA had been talking about doing a podcast for a while, but, um, you know, together we sort of synthesized those those visions and made it made it work um, but now there are a ton of people who are putting together really nice podcasts including yours ed and um it's really great uh to see so many people do it i i, I definitely feel it's sort of a, a rising tide lifts all boats sort of thing you know we we're not posting we're not publishing an episode every day so there's a lot of room out there for people to kind of fill in um, and you know, there's a lot of really fun stuff out there and it's really neat to see people tackling this concept of a podcast in lots of different ways. Um, cause yeah, I listen to a lot of podcasts, sports podcasts, politics podcasts, and there's a lot of different ways to kind of crack that nut. And, uh, I think I see birding podcasting kind of filling the, filling in those niches, uh, in really interesting ways. I think you're right. It sounds like you're going to weekly podcasts, at least, uh, during the Stuck at home time. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we're stuck at home. We don't have a whole lot going on, so uh, we've got a little more time on our hands. Um, but yeah, we're going to try and go. And we just just last week was the first one. Um, and we're going to we got another one coming out this week. It's a uh, it's a beast that always needs feeding. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, to see it is. Keep it up. It is. I uh, I have to say that I was a little intimidated when I started, but you know I just find it a blast. I mean, yeah, it's, no, it's a lot relatively but low barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. It's not you don't need a, a tremendous amount of expensive stuff to do it. Totally uh, and technically, even I can manage uh, yeah. a little help from you today. But usually, I can manage. Uh, and uh, it's uh, it's just fun. What's not fun about talking to birders about birding? That's, that's oh, totally. Kind of yeah, that's my favorite part about it. And I, you know, it's funny because I'm not like a super outgoing person uh, in my normal life. Um, but it, it, you know, I can I can play the role if need be. But uh, man, I can talk about people, talk to people about birds like forever. <laughs> it's not, it's not really a problem. <laughs> it's, I'm not running out of content. <laughs> I think it, it, podcasts fit naturally into birders now with uh, you know Bluetooth and and mm. fancy cars that will uh, you know just about any car nowadays you can listen to your phone on. Uh, yeah. And 
you know, we go on these long drives to okay. the middle of nowhere. I mean, why not listen to a few podcasts? It is neat. Yeah. And, you know, I've heard from people who listen to the American Birding Podcast and, you know, that is how they, how they listen to it. You know, they'll, they'll go out birding and they'll put us on and, uh, you know, half an hour later they're at their spot and they've listened to, uh, to an episode and, um, you know, they're ready to bird. So yeah, that's great. That's exactly what it's for. And what I, what I love to see people, how I love to see people, um, using it. Yeah, that's sort of how I, that's how that's how I listen to podcasts. Pretty much in the car at home, I'm you know got other things to do than yeah, exactly. to a, a, a podcast. But you know, spend way too much time going places in the car. At least used to spend way too much time going right. to places in the car. Yeah, yeah, I know. I was reading some articles uh, recently about how people have said that podcasting listenership is down a little bit because people aren't commuting anymore, which mm-hmm. makes sense. But like speaking for myself and for the ABA podcast and, and, you know, ha- speaking about this a little bit with some other bird podcast uh, people, I feels like there's, there's more people listening to bird podcasts specifically. And maybe that has to do with the fact that, yeah, I don't know if you're, if you've noticed this phenomenon, but there is a ton of like birding media stuff out there these days. You know, all this talk about birding being like this perfect hobby for stay at home and, and self-isolation. Um, I don't know if that's connected. I will see. I mean, we'll see if people stick around, but it's, it's kind of neat to see. It's kind of neat to think about. Yeah. I read just today, uh, on 10,000 birds, mm-hmm. uh, I read, uh, you know, how many birders are there? You know, there's all these yeah, estimates. Yeah. No, Jason Crowder does and it, you know, for estimate of, you know, so, kind of to depends how you define a birder, obviously. Yes. Yeah, that's uh, the, but, the, uh, but it was pretty interesting that the fellow who wrote the article went through all these different ways to gather data and it went from well, then maybe 12,000 or then maybe 49 million or somewhere in between. Yeah. <laughs> kind of an interesting uh, concept to try to quantify. Yeah, of course. That's been the question that the ABA has been trying to answer forever. <laughs> How many birders out there? What is our audience? How many people can you attract? Uh, to be a member and yeah, you know, the Fish and Wildlife Service, what they say is something like 40 million or something, which is uh, yeah. a bit of an overstatement, I think. But um, I, th- I, think- I think it said, uh, and then it said, but if those 12 million would consider going more than one mile from home to see a bird. Yeah, <laughs> so, right. Different definitions. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, you're kind of piecing together all these, all these parts of the puzzle from, you know, people who use eBird to people who are, you know, members of various bird related groups on Facebook and things like that. I don't know if we'll ever quite get the question, get the answer to that question, because I think a lot of people have sort of different uh, definitions of what is a birder. Like at what point do you become a birder? Is it when you, you know, it can't be going more than a mile from your house anymore because I've just been burning in like my, my neighborhood for the last two months. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. But it, it does really feel like there's a lot of people who are engaging with birds and, and noticing birds a lot more uh, in the last couple of weeks. And, and part of that is maybe be, not a couple of weeks, but a couple of months. And, and part of that is because maybe there's so many more birds around because it's spring. Um, but, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. It does feel like there's a bit of a moment going on. It does seem like birds. there's an opportunity if we can find yeah. a way. To oh, totally. It. Yeah, right. That's 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 the rub. Yeah. I listened to your episode. I think it was with Ted that where you talked about uh, the second fifty years of the ABA oh, mm-hmm. uh, being uh, you know focused more on 
trying to be inclusive and mm-hmm. uh, uh, spreading the gospel of the birding community, yep. so to speak, as opposed to focusing so much on just technical bird identification mm-hmm. skill sets. Yeah, and and um, you know that's that's one of Jeff's uh, big things, and and one that is um, you know really a, a a priority of the ABA these days. Um, not just you know because it's an existential you know issue for the for the organization, but also because you know we we definitely as birders we we believe that the world would be a better place if there are more birders in it. Um, you know, birders make better neighbors that was one of mike bergen's things right so mm-hmm. you know there's more people out there uh who are thoughtful and conscientious of what's going on around them and um you know i, I think there's a lot of sort of characteristics that birders have that are really useful for regular life as well you know things like uh skepticism and humility and and um open-mindedness you know, those, those sorts of things, I think birders really, um, we, birding really encourages those sorts of behaviors. And, you know, like I said, I, I think, I think the world would be a better place if there are more birders in it. And so we definitely want, uh, want more people to find birds and enjoy them and, and ultimately, uh, protect them. I think that's true. No matter, no matter what way you look at it, I, I'm, I'm a Rotarian in a Rotary club and, mm-hmm. and one, and Rotary does all sorts of things like youth exchanges sure. and yeah. all sorts of ways to get people from one country to go visit people from another country yes. on the theory that it's a whole lot less likely you're going to hate and bomb and kill people you like and know than it is people you don't. Totally agree. Yeah, no, I. And from a birding standpoint, uh, you know, it's a whole lot less likely that I'm going to passively stand by and watch the wetland across the street be filled in for a parking yep. lot when that's where I go see my Virginia rail and my soar every year. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and I think, you know, internet, that's why international travel is a great thing for birders too. You know, every place that I have had the good fortune to go to, um, I feel connected to from that point on, like I care about what's going on in Honduras or, you know, I'm sort of got my eye on what's going on in Uganda. Like these, these places that I wouldn't normally necessarily pay attention to, you know, I know people there, I have friends there, I have people that I've birded with there. And so I, you know, care about what's going on in these places more than I would otherwise. And, um, you know, that's true of every place I've ever visited. For sure. It, it's a, it is a community, you know, it's Mm -hmm. a, it's a, the birding community is, is, uh, without borders in a way, you know, it's a, it's a, a worldwide, uh, family, so to speak. Absolutely. So you have, I, I'm going to switch subjects abruptly here. Sure. <laughs> uh, what's with all of the birding and beer things lately? <laughs> oh, you know, I, it's funny. I think the, you know, the birds and beers phenomenon has been one that's been, I think Sharon Steitler, uh, the bird chick, she might have, yes. I think she might've started it. She, or she would have involved at the very beginning. And, you know, this is the idea that birders can interact with each other and hang out with each other in times when you're not actively birding uh, is a good one. You know, I, a lot of my best friends here in North Carolina are, are birders as well. And so, you know, we don't do any sort of like big public birds and beers, but we do get together every once in a while. Or we did uh, before COVID shut everything down uh, pretty fairly regularly once a month or so just to kind of sit around and, and talk about birds and touch base with people and it's been really neat to see how that phenomenon has moved online in, you know, since now that we're all inside. And, um, 
I have had the opportunity to kind of drop in on a few Zoom birds and beers uh, for places that I wouldn't necessarily have been able to otherwise. Uh, And it's been very neat to see how different communities are sort of taking this idea and kind of rolling with it and making it their own thing. Um, I was I participated in a bird trivia uh, contest meeting, whatever, uh, with a group of uh, birders from Portland Audubon in Oregon. Uh, That was really cool. Um, I sat in with a Vermont group, a group of people from Vermont. They did the Zoom meeting that had like 60 people in it. And Bridget Butler uh, did a really kind of masterful job bringing people in and chatting with people and all this stuff, which was very neat to see. Um, I hung out with a bunch of Chicago birders with that are like Greg Niece's friends, and it was super informal. <laughs> and um, that was fun. I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I really like hanging out with birders and part of that is because you know there's never any small talk problems i mean there's always birds to talk about um which is fantastic and you know no matter who they are you've got like immediately this thing in common uh that makes you know conversation friendship any of that stuff super easy um yeah birders are fun people to hang around with totally totally so you were obviously a birder before you got to the apa tell me your birding Mm -hmm. story how'd you get going in birding Oh, yeah. So um, my dad was a a middle school science teacher for a very long time. And so we were always a family that spent a lot of time outdoors. We lived way out in the in the sticks in uh, southwest Missouri uh, next to a river. And so I spent a lot of time on the river as a kid catching snakes and turtles and and bugs and all sorts of stuff. And eventually my interest kind of turned over to birds. Um, I I always say it's because you know, snakes, reptiles are kind of hard to find and, uh, bugs, there's too many of them. <laughs> Can't identify them. And at the yeah, time, microscope. <laughs> yeah, at the time, yeah, microscope is, exactly. I didn't even have a microscope. Um, and at the time like there weren't a ton of really great field guides to insects. Um, but you know that we had great bird field guides and we always had naturalist books around the house. Um, the golden guide, uh, that old Audubon guide with like the pleather cover. <laughs> sure. And so that was, First bird guide. Yeah, 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 exactly. And um, I used to spend a lot of time just kind of flipping through them and eventually kind of got interested in birds and finding them myself. We had feeders and became more interested in the stuff that came that was there and uh, just got really super into it. And, uh, you know, my dad being a nature guy and a science teacher really um, supported me about the, on this. And so we started going to the local Audubon chapter which was uh, Greater Ozarks Audubon chap, Greater Ozarks Audubon Society in uh, Springfield, Missouri, and uh, you know I met a ton of people there. Um, that there are a ton of birders there, and there were a lot of really great people who helped me out, uh, kind of nurtured me on on my journey to become a birder. Um, you know Rebecca Matthews, who, who sadly passed away a few years ago, uh, Charlie Berwick, Bo Brown, uh, Dorothy Thurman, a lot of lot of people that I still sort of know uh through that that audubon chapter that my dad is still uh active member in Mm -hmm. and um you know they they helped me get scholarships to go to bird camp i went to camp chiricahua in uh, 1994 when i was a teenager and uh man it, it just like hit super hard and then uh but you know being the only young birder in the state that i know of there was like one other one that i didn't know very well it was hard it's hard when you don't have a lot of peers uh that is one thing that young birders these days have uh it's a lot yeah totally it's so much easier to stay in contact with people who are uh, also share your interests and kind of uh help you 
motivate you through those times when maybe you're you start doing other things and but i didn't have that and so i started doing other things um which was fine of course through middle school and high school and then um eventually came back to birding just after college and i've been started writing online and that's sort of where my intersection with the aba came uh after that and i've been doing it ever since so it's been oh quite a few years since i returned (laughs) Tell me about your first blog. What was that about? Yeah, so this was back in the, let's see, this was in the late, you know, the 2007, 2008, 2009, kind of before social media took over everything, when people were writing online a lot. And I was getting back into birding and uh, reading blogs online like 10,000 Birds. And um, Rob Fergus had a blog that I followed a lot. Um John Beatham, who did a blog called the DC Birding Blog, which I think is still going on, um, used to follow him a lot. And uh, so I decided, you know, maybe maybe I've got a voice too. So I started um, started my own blog. It was quite easy to do on Blogspot those day, uh, in those days and uh, got a little bit of a following and got really heavily involved uh, in that community. And that, man, that blog was great because it, it allowed me to meet a ton of birders all over the country. Um, both online and in person. I, I participated in the Super Bowl of Birding. I don't know if you're familiar with that competition. It's yeah. sort of an analog to the World Series of Birding uh, held in Essex County, Massachusetts. Um, I participated on that group with a team of other bloggers. So uh, Corey Finger from 10,000 Birds and Pat Bellardo, uh, who's a New Jersey-based birding blogger, and um, Chris Ciccone. Uh, from Massachusetts um, and a couple others over the years. And we did that for a couple of years. And um, yeah, that, w- that was a lot of fun. Um, you know, you're meeting people in life, in real life that you have been interacting with for months, for years online. Um, yeah. And, you know, then Facebook came along and kind of sucked all the air out of the blogging room. <laughs> and um, been a, a mixed blessing in that regard. It has been a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I kept doing it for a while and then eventually kind of stopped uh, when my role with the ABA increased. Um, and so, you know, the Drinking Bird blog is mothballed. Uh, it does exist. I mean, it's still there. I think it's uh, the drinkingbird.wordpress.com. Uh, I actually, um, actually, I had been holding on to the URL, the URL for a very long time, and I finally let it go a few years ago. Uh, thinking that if I wanted to get it back, I could. And it was immediately snapped up by like some Japanese uh, <laughs> retailer of like yeah. herbal supplements or something. And so I can't get it back. So if you go to the big, the drinkingbirdblog.com, uh, you will not find birding stuff, but uh, it's the, the stuff is still there. It's kind of hard to find on the internet these days. It's yeah, kind of been buried. Okay. <laughs> I, I wanted to uh, kind of related topic. I heard you mention on your last uh episode you just listened to it the other day mm-hmm. you had uh three it was a virtual episode with three other uh, oh yeah. Uh, yeah talking a lot about uh twitter uh mm-hmm. and i have to say twitter has been uh not something that i have been as involved in as mm-hmm. i might be for so, just you know who knows what reason but uh just because it kind of confuses me <laughs> simple but you know, all of these hashtags and ats and all of this stuff uh mm-hmm. Just, just uh, 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 I don't know. Haven't uh, tweaked my fancy. H- how do you use Twitter to communicate? How's that working out? Uh, yeah, Twitter's kind of an interesting beast. Um, uh, I've done it more 
these days just because I find the bird Twitter community to be really, really a lot of fun. There's a lot of really interesting people out there. And it's nice to have these conversations in a way that are public so that other people can kind of jump in and share their experiences as well. I I think for a lot of people, Twitter is, um, I mean, there are certain aspects of it that are really pretty bad. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, tiptoe around that, but I think bird Twitter in particular, the people that are heavily involved in bird Twitter is just a really great group of people. And it's just a really good opportunity to reach people that are sort of outside of your regular um, circle of friends. So, you know, Facebook is a little bit more closed off. The only people that can see any of your stuff and the only stuff that you can see are people that um, you choose to see. And that's that's a that's a good thing for Facebook, certainly. Uh, but Twitter is much more open, much more public. And so if someone who is not necessarily a birder has some bird questions, they can kind of, you know, send the bird Twitter bat signal up into the air. And, so you're uh, just talking basically Twitter. hashtag bird Twitter. Hashtag bird Twitter. Someone will find you. Yeah. So it's not officially a group or anything. It's just a hashtag it's that just, you, you know, can check birders out. on Twitter. Yeah, effectively. Yeah, it's a very loose, loose group. But there's a lot of really neat people out there. And, and it's really useful to be able to grab those people who aren't necessarily engaged in the birding community, right? So um, the birding community can be, I think, until the internet age was kind of insular. In order to get kind of involved, you sort of had to go to this, this, uh, these bird clubs, uh, Audubon chapter meetings, things like that. You had to kind of know that these were going on. But you know, now in the now in the social media age, you can kind of ask this question absentmindedly on um, on a site like Twitter, and people are going to be able to find you and give you an answer to your question. Uh, it's a similar sort of um, dynamic as what we see on some of the ABA's Facebook groups, like "What's This Bird." Um, where people can essentially just take a photo of even like a cell phone photo of a bird that's right. at their feeder and post it online and they can get an answer. People will crowdsource the answer on that, which is a pretty, it's been a pretty neat way to interact with people who sort of have a, you know, general interest in birds, maybe not like people who are going to get super, super into it. Um, but someone who wants to know more about the stuff that's around their neighborhood and Twitter is sort of a similar dynamic to that, I think. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and you know, there's just some really funny people on it that I enjoy interacting with. So, yeah, it sounds sounds like it's a, a pretty cool place. I literally had never even heard of it before I heard your burning <laughs> podcast. I said, oh, okay, hashtag bird, bird Twitter. Twitter. Bird Twitter is I'll the best it Twitter. There are, it's the best. You know, Twitter. I'd say you know, twenty thirty percent of the stuff there is pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably a pretty good estimate for social media, generally speaking. Yeah, <laughs> pretty good statistic, actually. Yeah, I'll take thirty. I'll take thirty. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. So, Nate, what what do you see uh, uh, happening going forward with your role at the ABA? Do you think you'll continue sort of what you're doing? Or do you have any uh, uh, new plans? Uh, not necessarily. I'm pretty pretty happy with what's going on right now. I think that um, yeah, I'm, I'm certainly busy enough. I don't necessarily need to add anything new to my plate. Um, but I think the podcast has been a really useful way to get the ABA's name out there. Uh, among people who might not necessarily know who we are. It's one of the issues that the ABA has always sort of struggled with is um, not a lot of people know who we are. You know, we've had this reputation of being a a bird organization for a certain type of birder, that birder being someone who is extremely serious and wants to go to the landfill and look at goals or or spend a lot of time uh, trying to identify silent and pit and axe flycatchers. But, you know, ultimately we're all just people who like like birds and birding and interacting with birders. And, and, you know, that's whatever level where, however far you want to 
you you want to take this hobby however far up the ladder you want to go wherever you want to stop is fine and i think be, you know showcasing who we are at the aba to a group of people beyond the, you know a sort of core audience has been really useful and the podcast has been a really good tool to do that as well as some of our other social media stuff yeah um so i'm perfectly happy you know continuing to do that i've found a nice little niche at the organization where I can um, do stuff that is really gratifying to me and is really helpful to our greater mission. And um, I've been pretty, pretty pleased with that. Uh, I enjoy the, uh, the rare birds part of your mm-hmm. podcast. I, I'm not sure what you call it. I think it's a rare birds this last week or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you gather the information for that? Do you do that yourself or do you have a team that does that for you? No, it's just me. Um, so one of the secrets maybe, um, is that we created that ABA Rare Bird Alert Facebook group. Uh, okay. And that is such a useful group to kind of collate all that information <laughs> for me. Uh, but not all the rare birds that are seen uh, go on to that group. I would say somewhere like 75% of them get on there. But, you know, we have uh, birding.aba.org, which is essentially uh, a website where you can go and peruse all of the listservs to all of the states and provinces right. in the ABA area. Right, right. Yes. Yeah. And so I essentially just like sit down on Thursday and like just go through them one at a time and scroll back a week and see what has been seen. And uh, that's that's how I do my research. That's what um, I thought it might involve. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's it's brute force. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. Just front labor. So I have a real um, I, I've I, I love people that put the name of the bird in the subject line. I love it. If I could encourage people to do that more. That would be, if I could do one thing, that, that would be what I would do. I, I would make everyone put the subject line, the, the rare bird in the subject line of the email. So I don't have to like click and click and click. I can just you know find it right there, put it in all caps so I can see it. It's really useful. Yeah. that And maybe even get them to say what's special, like second county site. Oh, that would be amazing. I'm not asking. That. That, yeah. That might be asking too much, but yes, that would be icing on the cake. <laughs> yeah. Do your job for you there. That's Oh yeah. That's I, I basically recall. I recently rely on all the birders uh, around the, around the ABA area in the United States and Canada uh, to do that stuff for me. Otherwise I'm not going to know it. I mean, what, that's like 50 States and 10 provinces. And um Yeah, that's a lot of information. And I have over the years that I've done it, and I've done it for a long time now, um, I have learned, learned a lot more about what is good and what is, you know, what is rare, what is unusual for each given state. But there are still some states that give me trouble even to this day. Um, like it's hard to figure out exactly what is unusual and what is not there, but, um, I've gotten better about that. Knowing that for every state. Yeah. Well, I mean, just by attrition, (laughs) I've gotten, you know, a fair, uh, fair idea of it. I still have trouble with some of the Western states and probably because that it's because they are so big. Um, so, you know, a state like Washington, for instance, the birds on the Western half of the Western part of the state and the birds on the Eastern part of the state are like completely different. Like those are two completely different suites of birds. Um, it's not just it, the birds, the people too. Yeah, <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> the um, people in Eastern Washington would like to secede and have the state called Liberty. Yeah. Well, that would be useful because then Liberty would have its own, you know, bird list and I'd be able yeah, to figure out be, what's uh, unusual and what's bird, not. <laughs> but yeah, like big states uh, are troublesome. And then states like West Virginia, which is, you know, kind of tucked in there and very landlocked, which has a very strange list of birds. Um you know, not a lot of shorebirds, not a lot of big waterfowl because there aren't any big reservoirs in the state. That those states still give me trouble, but for the most part, I've gotten pretty good about 
knowing what is unusual and what is not at a glance. I'm still yeah, not it, great at it though. It's got to be great for your birding fund of knowledge. I mean, yeah, it is. You know, that's that's one of the reasons why I do it. You know, I love I love information. I love having that stuff. So very cool. Well, Nate, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Yeah. I really appreciate your time. Uh, and are there any other uh, parts of the ABA or other things you're passionate about you want to give a shout out to? I like to give my guests a chance to uh, plug something. Sure. Can I plug the Can I plug the ABA generally? We're, we're Absolutely. In the middle, we're in the middle of our big spring appeal. So, uh, you know, if you're a member of the ABA and you want to uh, throw us a few bucks to help us keep doing what we're doing, or if you're not a member of the ABA, if you'd like to join you can get information about that at aba.org slash join or aba.org slash gift. Uh, we certainly appreciate anything that anyone can give. And thank you, Ed, for giving me the opportunity to uh, to do that. You're welcome, Nate. I'll put, uh, I'll put links to those things in the podcast uh, notes. Right on. Thank you. Uh, and thanks again for being a guest today. I really appreciate it. Uh, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Take care. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Bird Banner Podcast with Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Uh, I hope you all had a good time. Uh, Stay safe, get out birding, and until next time, good birding, good day.